This is uh, part two of something new and happy new year again. I hope it's been a great first 14 days. I know, right? We're doing a series uh, all about newness and we covered the, we talked about the new year last week. Today we talk about a new body. A little mysterious there. We'll get into that today. Uh, and then the week's coming, a new mind, uh, new news, and a new city. So uh, let's jump right in with talking about this new body idea. But I got to go back in time, back into the Old Testament. You can open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, if you guys want to follow along, and uh, set this up in a way that will help us understand how God can make our bodies new. You guys remember Moses, right? Moses uh, supposes, you guys know the rest, that, uh, that bushes don't talk. But uh, this one did, and he's speaking directly to God. And we jump back into the text in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 5. It says, do not come any closer, God says to Moses. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now, we're in New York City, and it's a pretty general custom that most people, when you come into someone else's home, they're going to ask you what to do with your shoes? Take off your shoes. Now, someone help me out. Why? Go ahead and raise your hand. What are some of the reasons why you would want someone to take off your, their shoes before they come in? Royston. It is filthy outside. Yes, well said. Anyone want to get more specific? Some stains? On the carpet or on your, you know, your, your nice floors that you work hard to uh, protect, yes? Garbage juice. Garbage juice. Yes. I guess that's a new term coined right here. Yep. Many people do not clean up after their animals. And it ends up on the bottom of your shoe and then in someone's living room. So we say, hey, let's leave those here in the back. The odor? To respect. Okay. Cultural respect. Sometimes we have that even if it isn't filthy outside. All right, last one right here. Dust and mud. All right. Now, it's kind of the same idea here with God and Moses, except it's in a spiritual way. The physical and the spiritual are going to link up quite a bit in the lesson today. And one of the things that God is saying that you are on holy ground, and I don't want the garbage juice of the world that you are stepping in to come into the holiest of holies. Now, I want to have an interaction with you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be able to have a conversation with you, but you've got to follow a few things house rules in order for us to be able to have this conversation. Now, God did a lot of direct interaction and conversation with people in the Old Testament. And at some point, he decided that there has to be a better way where the people are able to connect with me, where the people are able to uh, find time to, whether it's get atonement for sins or sacrifice or pray. And so this whole new way of connecting to God developed as the Israel tribe got bigger. And it was come to be called the temple. And Solomon builds the temple uh, many years ago in 1 Kings chapter 6. And I'll give you a little bit of the history in just a minute. But Solomon builds this temple for the express purpose of honoring God, praising God, worshiping God. And God even said, I'm actually going to come there in some kind of physical way. My presence will be there in the temple so that you can interact with me. 
There needs to be some boundaries between a perfect being, a totally holy and perfect and sinless being, and what we bring from the garbage juice of the world. I'm just going to use your term throughout the lesson, Abram. You guys understand that if we were to just interact with God face to face, we might disintegrate. There's there's stories of the Bible how they have to be uh, turned away where we can't look directly at God or lying prostrate. There's all these things that we need to keep in mind in order to be able to have a conversation or relationship with God. Here's a quick history on this idea of temple. Solomon builds a temple in 957 B.C. And then a few hundred years later begins the beginning of generations of oppressive regimes coming in and dominating and enslaving the Israel people. And what happens is Babylon comes in and and messes the temple, uh, destroys it, disgraces it. And so years go by until a second temple temple starts to go up. And then this begins another section uh, in Israel's history where other nations come in, people come in, and whether it's enslave them, oppress them, take away their rights, uh, just not allow them their religious freedom, their political voice, their spiritual voice. Alexander the Great's in there, uh, 4th century BC, the Ptolemies, the Seleucids, the Greeks, and then we just heard the story a couple months ago that Josh shared about Hanukkah and Antiochus the Great. Not so great when he comes in and he desecrates the temple by killing pigs in the area of sacrifice. It's an insult to the way God had set up the sacredness of the temple where there's supposed to be prayer and praise to God Almighty. Skip ahead a little bit to 163 BC. And again, uh, we were reminded of the Hanukkah story. The temple is rededicated, reclaimed. Judas the hammer Maccabee comes in and things change for a little bit after many revolts have been squashed. But again, They run into trouble. The Romans come in. They take over. And already at 54 BC, the second temple is desecrated by Crassus. Time flies. Jesus is born. We're in his uh, era. and uh, Or sorry, not yet. Herod starts to renovate the temple. Then Jesus is born. And then 70 AD is when the temple is destroyed by Titus and the Roman army. The temple has been through a lot. And we have little pieces of it, of the old wall, the wailing wall, uh, still today that some of us in this room have visited. And I want us to just get that in our minds, just the context of what a temple and what the temple was supposed to be as we enter this, this discussion. Keep in mind also that in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, the word for house of God or temple was bet. And the word in the Greek, which is the New Testament language, is oikos. Which reminds me of a song, I don't know why. But anyway, house of God, the temple, and some other words that we'll get into. Um, Now we talked about Jesus being born. So this zero in on the next evolution of what the temple is. Because in John chapter 2 verse 21, it says the temple he had spoken of was his body. There's a big jump in temple history. Temple was always a building. It was a tent. It was a building. It was an area. God would dwell. People would make intercession there. There'd be prayers. The priests would go in. They would intercede for you. And now all of a sudden we're hearing a discussion that a man is the temple? Now for those of us who've been around the church for a while, we read this and we sort of assume, well, yeah, of course. But if you were hearing this for the first time, you'd either be insulted or intrigued and try to figure out what are you talking about? Well, Jesus, in many ways, his identity comes from the same explanation for what the temple was for, to connect with God. 
that through Jesus, we would be able to connect with God, have a conversation that he would mediate for us, that he would be the buffer between the muck and mire of the world and all the juice that we drag in with our feet. And then Jesus, the perfect and holy being. Without Jesus, there is no relationship with God. You understand so far? We got the temple, the edifice, the building. Now we have the temple, the body, the man. And guess what's coming next? You know, 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you, yourselves, are God's temple? And you go, man, that seems like a lot of pressure. What does that mean? Well, we'll explain a little bit more as we go, but one of the really neat things that God does, he sets up the ability for us to house his spirit in our souls. That we could be the temple, that we could directly connect with God wherever we are. And that blows the hinges off the doors of all religious thought up to that time. My question for us today is, are you a good bet? In the Hebrew, I'll remind you, bet means house of God or temple. Are you a good temple? Are you a good house of God? Are you a body, a place, a catalyst where both you connect with God and also help others to connect with God? Are you a good bet? Today we're talking about the housing that is this jar of clay, this thing that we're wearing, the skin and the stuff that we tried to make look pretty this morning. That's what we're talking about, the body, inside and the out. Now, it's an interesting thought, thinking about God being inside of you. And I thought about this clip from Saturday Night Live, and I've been asking some of the millennials about this clip from 1992, and they have no idea what this segment even is. So for many of us, deep thoughts with Jack Handy will be new. And for some of us, this is old news. This is one of my favorites. And now, deep thoughts by Jack Handy. If God dwells inside us, like some people say, I sure hope he likes enchiladas, because that's what he's getting. Yeah, that's it. Sure hope he likes enchiladas, because that's what he's getting. It's brilliant. I mean, this, this plays on all kinds of metaphysical spiritual dilemma about understanding the physical and spiritual self in their intersection. Isn't that what Jack Handy meant? It's hilarious. Like, what does it mean that God's inside of me? Eating the Cheetos? Like, I got to stop eating Cheetos, because God is going to get away problem. You know, it's like... But I know it's silly, but it does beg the further question. Um, it also reminded me of an incident that I had in the last few days with some kind of spicy food. So my, my neighbor, so kind, um, had made Indian curry. And, uh, and uh, I love curry. I mean, curry is it's a little bit of an Achilles heel with me. And I uh, love all kinds of different curry. And, and I even like spicy foods from time to time. But I also, from time to time, uh, have some issues with spicy foods. If you can relate, maybe some indigestion, some acid reflux. Anybody? Okay, no. I'm the only one. Okay. So the problem with me, though, is that I love it so much. 
And I never feel it right away. So in the moment, it just seems like the right thing to do. So when he calls me up and says, hey, I've got this whole thing and I don't have a use for it because this and that and the other is happening. Uh, I know it's a long shot, but could you guys use some? And I said, I'm coming now. So rolled up and wrapped them in the door. Whoa, he's apron on. This huge, beautiful pot filled with a mixture of delicious vegetables and the red curry paste and the chili flake and then four or five long chili peppers just floating on the top with the little bubbles. And I'm just, ah, be careful not to drool into the pot, right? And he's like, hey, you could take the whole thing. And Arlene and I are like, yeah, like, should we get, go get a pot? He's like, just take. And so we go back and we're smelling, we're looking. I say, I got, I got to try some. So I try some. And immediately my face is on fire. It wasn't a delayed heat. It was a direct heat. And um, you know how it starts and then moves? So immediate direct all over the inside of the mouth, fire. And I'm thinking, okay, it's all right. It's one of those ones I can contain here. No, it was in my eyes, my ears, my neck. Boom. Now, of course, I don't tell anyone. Because, you know, it's spicy food. And, you know, you should be able to handle that. I'm a grown adult. And um, so I decided to have another bowl. And then the next day, I decided to have two more bowls. You can already start seeing how the spiritual and the physical are linked. Lack of self-control and the consequences on my poor body. I'll just put it like this. I think I've lost a lot of weight over the last few days. The physical and the spiritual are linked. Uh, there was a, a well-known uh, branch of Christianity that grew out of the second and third century called Gnosticism. And uh, this philosophically based branch of Christianity adhered to a lot of the things that the Christians believe. But the big difference is that they believe that the body is evil. And so they separated the physical and the spiritual. So whatever the body does, fine, no consequences, no big deal. It's about my soul. And you can see how that could be a problem because there you are at church worshiping with the folks on Sunday and then for some reason the next few days your body is out there doing all kinds of unrighteous things and you come back and hang out with them and like, the folks are like, what were you doing out there? Well, that's just my body. Body's evil. It's condemned. I condemn it. It's about the spirit. Spirit is good. No, see, the physical and the spiritual are linked in many different ways. And 2 Corinthians 4, 7 talks about this concept that we are like treasures in jars of clay. Treasures in jars of clay. I want to show you a proverb that zeroes in on some of this interplay between the physical and the spiritual. Chapter 4 uh, through 20 and 27, I picked out a few verses. Look at the intersection between the physical parts of the body and the righteous acts that they do. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. 
Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. This is the ways that we train our body to be righteous. The interplay between the spiritual and the physical. Now, sometimes the brain sends a message to one part of the body and it seems like there's a problem in the messaging. For instance, my brain was saying, you probably shouldn't eat that curry. And then it said again, you probably shouldn't eat it a second time. And then you probably shouldn't eat it a third time. And yet the stomach overpowered the brain. Can I get anyone that can relate to that? We have an obsession with food. Food is awesome and I love food, but sometimes food is my God. The stomach is a servant. It makes a terrible master. And that is our battle, the interplay. So I want to jump into three sort of practical looks at the different ways of the physical and spiritual intersection and ways to look at our body being new. And I'll break it down like this. We despair, but take care and beware. It'll be helpful to remember later, even though it seems cheesy now. All right. We despair. This is point number one. What do we despair about? We despair that our bodies, these treasures in jars of clay, don't feel like treasures. And the older we get, the more things break down. Amen to those that are breaking down. Amen. I'm breaking down. I feel parts of me breaking down. I can't see as well. I can't hear as well. I'm saying what all the time. This is part of the reality and inevitable truth of getting older. God has designed us with a flaw that we're finite, that we're ending. Like a car, eventually it will stop. And that is sad, but that is true. So these bodies, as they get older, we can despair about them. There's some groaning coming from Paul here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me remind you who Paul is. He's an apostle grafted in. He's one of the guys who writes about half the New Testament, and he does amazing work planting churches, encouraging churches. But as he does that, he goes through some terrible physical harm. He's jailed. He's put up in stocks. He's whipped at least five times that we know of. And if you uh, multiply out the 40 minus one lashes, you're talking about hundreds of scars on his back. Some say he walked with a limp because of that. Say he had typhoid fever. Said he was constantly on the brink of death as he was traveling. Eventually, he pulled in the Dr. Luke to join him. Why? Because he was about to die a lot. I'm going to travel with a doctor. Keep me alive so I can spread the word. So if there's anyone who's groaning about the physical body and its interplay with the spirit, it's this guy. We grow weary in our present bodies. Can we get a group sigh and groan right now? Now the young ones, I know you can't relate. That's okay. You will. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothes. Don't you love going in and get some new clothes that just fit perfect? Just, ah, it makes me feel good. Not just on the outside, but for some reason on the inside. I don't know. I wore my favorite suit today. I feel good. I don't know why that is, but multiply that out a thousand times because you're going to get a new body in heaven. You're going to get a body that has no flaws that will never end. I always dream of wings because that's my thing. I just want to fly around. I don't know my body's going to have wings. Maybe yours will and mine won't because that's what I want and God's got to teach me a lesson. I don't know. 
But I know they're going to work. I know everything, whatever manifestation of body, bodily application will have in heaven will work to perfection. That's the new body waiting for you in heaven. Now, we'll put on our heavenly bodies, Paul says. We will not be spirits without bodies. We'll live in these earthly bodies. And then again, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. Some deep thoughts from the Apostle Paul getting into this concept of the weariness and the breakdown of our physical body, but the possibility of newness in our spiritual bodies. Question, what do you think was the number one New Year's resolution in 2018? Now, do you really think I would spend 15 minutes setting this whole thing up, ask you this question, and then the answer was finances? It has to do with losing weight, fitness, health. There's all kinds of different explanations under that category. Now, it's interesting because um, the typical, the average, especially even uh, the younger folks um, in New York, around the country, even around the world, are also thinking this way. If you were to go back in time, uh, even 1892, and we have an excerpt here of a teenager writing their New Year's resolution, look at the difference they write, resolved, not to talk about myself, to think before speaking, to work seriously, to be self-restrained in conversation and actions, not to let my thoughts wander, to be dignified. Boom! Can I get an amen for 1892? <laughs> Typical average teenager of the early 90s in the 1800s. So why has so much changed? Why is the collective culture and consciousness about our appearance changed so much? Why is this true? Why is it true that 90% of women in hundreds of polls around the US are dissatisfied with their appearance and 85% of men dissatisfied. I look in the mirror, mirror is master, I do not like what master sees. And it devastates us, and it fills us with insecurity. And that is not God's plan. What does the world prove to us? Well, that there's perfect people out there. Perfect people named Faith. <laughs> Intersection. And I don't know how many times you guys have seen me come up and talk about body image and trying to expose some of the behind-the-scenes work that um, people do. And, and again, if you're an illustrator, and we have several designers, no knock against you, but we have to remember what the world is feeding us and make sure that the grain of salt is quite large when we're accepting what truth is from the world. So what's the real picture? Look at the size of the arm. Just that alone. The coloring, this is after all the makeup, after the airbrushing. This is the digital remaster. Where'd the hand go, right? There's all kinds of things that are happening in here. And again, it's just remembering to take off the veil and see the truth. 
that even with makeup, people are real. That we got bumps. That we have pimples. We have wrinkles. We got laugh lines. And you know what? Those things are good. That's who we are. But he's, but he's the sexiest man alive. He is, he is the most handsome. Please don't ruin my impression. I don't want him to be real. I want to know that there are people that are his age that don't have any lines under their eyes. And even who are considered the most symmetrical or whatever, they still are not quote-unquote good enough to go in the final edit. Take it in. She's the queen. Some of us are shocked and we're, oh my gosh, I don't see them as that pretty anymore. Whoa, check your minds on that. Is it really? Is that what you're thinking? Or can we start to retrain the way we think about body and to be able to celebrate who we are? How we're made. The shape we are. Sometimes we get inspired by different reality shows. It's great. We get ideas. And then sometimes, though, we're not even sure if we can believe that. I mean, I don't know where her right leg went. If, if, losing, if losing that much weight means losing my right leg, I'm not into it. It's just a little mistake. Cosmo, in a typical magazine, about 170 pages, are making sure that they stock it with about 350 images of what they would call the perfect woman. Because that exists, I guess. So in order for those perfect pictures to appear in the final cut, they have to edit them to make sure that they fit their model. And this is hitting our young girls, too. 50% of girls in grade 6 are on a diet. And the lists go on and on and on. This is one of the most famous, most infamous of the distorted ways that the world is teaching us that we need to be. Now, because it's here in this message, in this presentation, in this context, you know that not to be true. But when we're leafing through, that if an Im images of the magazine or watching television or looking on the app doesn't necessarily hit us that way, what hits us is, I don't look like that. And guys, this is very relevant in our culture right now because of the ways that especially women are being objectified, mistreated, disgraced, not God's plan. Time's up for us to stop despairing about the way God made us and to start seeing that we can be new from the inside out. Number two, take care. You know, sometimes you can hear something like that and go, okay, all caution to the wind, no deodorant, no nothing, I don't need showers, I'm not working out, I eat Cheetos all day, you know. This is where we have to take care. It's the balancing act, right? For physical training is of some value. Okay, now in comparison, it says here to godliness, 
Godliness has value for all things compared to physical training, which what? Has value some things. Some versus all. It's a good old math equation. One is bigger, better than the other. But it still says there's some value in it. So we got to take care of the body that God has given us. That's where we don't throw caution to the wind. That's where we do work on self-control. That's where we do try to eat healthy and exercise and sleep. New Yorkers, you don't think sleep affects your health. You think you work out and you eat right and you sleep three hours a night and you'll be fine. No. Now you say no now. Let's say no all the time to that falsehood. All right, we got to take care of the body we're given. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 17, it gives us a reason why. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that the God's spirit dwells in your midst? Here we go again, bringing it back. You're the temple. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. Ho! He's not kidding around. He loves you. He's made you. You're a dwelling place for him. He's like, have you cleaned my living room? Because I'm coming in there. I hope you've cleared the heart out with a lot of the junk. Have you had people take off their shoes before they come into your heart? Or are you allowing the junk of the world to come in? Is it infiltrating and polluting the cleanness that I'm meant to be? This is the effort that we put into taking care of the body that we have. It says God will destroy that person. Why? Because God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. See, we as a church form that dwelling place as well. That God is here with us. So the church has to vehemently protect itself against junk coming in from the outside. This is where we band together, where we talk and get open about the sin in our lives. Remember that? Getting real, getting uncomfortable, getting brutally honest. Why? Commiseration? Oh, yeah, I did that too. Well, all right, see you tomorrow. No. We go to God. We bring it to him. He's the perfect one. We're not. If you didn't notice, and if you're visiting with us for any amount of time, we are not the perfect church because we're made full, every single one of us, of imperfect people. Now, we're aiming to be like Jesus. Don't get us wrong. But we're not trying to put on a front. We're a bunch of sinners in here. And if you're looking for a perfect church, you can go look somewhere else. (laughs) How about that for a lesson? (laughs) So, it's not just about falling into the despair that we can get trapped in. we got to take care of what we've been given. And then finally, to really make sure that we beware. Ecclesiastes 7.18 reminds us, because some of us can oscillate between the two extremes. It's good to grasp one and not let go of the other. Right? Take both. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Yeah. We have a respect for God, therefore he helps us to find that balance in the middle. We're extreme in the U.S. Number one searches... Look at that. How to lose weight fast. All right, not just how to lose weight. How to lose weight fast. All these specific searches on the internet. Weight loss pills. Weight loss. Extreme weight loss. By the minute, by the hour, people are constantly going to Master Google. Tell me what do I need to do? Rubbing the lamp, waiting for the, the wishes to come. And that's the desire. We have to beware what's out there. We can go to the extremes. It's a young model 
named Anna Carolina Reston. And she was a famous Ford model and uh, 21 years old uh, at the time that we're talking about, five foot eight. And her, uh, her diet was apples and tomatoes only, if that. And she died of anorexia, still as a working model at 88 pounds. We say, oh, that's an extreme. It sure is. It's also a warning to remember that the mindset about our body is where it begins. She was still modeling. And now, unfortunately, the hashtag Anna has been out there as an inspiration for other models who want to imitate the success that Anna Carolina Reston had. In other words, saying, I'm willing to risk it all to be as successful as her. This is how twisted the world has gotten. Beware. Beware. Colossians chapter 2. Close out this point, and then we'll zero in for a landing. Colossians 2.23. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom. There was a group that was getting really hardcore about the body. We're going to go to the other extreme. With their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Say, we got to put all these rules so that we'll never be tempted with lust again. Rules, 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 rules. And you've seen some movies where you see monks whipping themselves because they, they're trying to you know, have control over their body. What went wrong? It's never God's intention. Be filled with guilt and sorrow and shame, so much so that we don't understand true repentance and freedom from sin and we get trapped in even more sin. See, the self-righteous way is just as bad. Either extreme is bad. We're looking for balance. Beware. And here's what's cool. In Acts 17, a familiar scripture. You know, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And guess what? He doesn't live in temples built by human hands. No longer are we in the age where we're dependent on an edifice to have to enter in to make atonement for sin, sacrifice, connect in a direct relationship with God. We have Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit, and the ability of him to be inside of us. And from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. We talked about this a little bit last week, this idea of circumstance and how God brought us to this place, how he invited us into a relationship with him, how he got us into studying his word and changing what our eyes were looking at, our ears were listening to, where our feet were taking us, what our hands were doing. And we talked about, we, we had those cards, remember that last week? And we played a little scavenger hunt game on the different circumstances and who it was. And we remembered our own story, and some of us are on that journey right now. That somehow, some way, God moved in a physical person to invite you into a relationship with him. That they were a conduit, a catalyst, a connector. That they were a house of worship, mobile version. Came to your door, met you on the train, was in your class, was at your work, was your cousin, was your mom, was your dad. And said, hey, how about, how about God? How about, how about church? What do you think? Because the physical and the spiritual are linked. We actually have to move our feet and move our mouths to do that, right? 
This is the good news that we can be new on the inside, which allows us to be able to bring newness to everybody else. It's a new mindset about how the way we look at ourselves when we look in the mirror. We can celebrate and say, God, I don't know exactly why you turned me out in this shape or why I'm missing that or I got extra of that, but I'm grateful because I know you have a reason. The exact times and the exact places where you put me. So that what? God did this so that men reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. He wants to be indwelling inside that living room in the heart that you created as a refuge for him. And not only that, but you were bought at a price, Paul says. He says, therefore, honor God with your bodies. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes I imagine God thinking about how much our lives were worth. I think about maybe I'm thinking about, okay, what, what's the price of a life? How can I think of a number? How much money? You know, Judas worked it out about 30 pieces of silver, right? And that's what he was thinking, you know? Someone else uh, thought it was the, the cost of the most expensive perfume or, or, or two little copper pennies, as much as they could give. Everyone has sort of a different price point. And I often think, man, God's up there going, what am I going to do to save mankind? What am I going to do to save a life? How much will it cost me? And what does he come up with? He said, I'm going to send my son. I'm going to give my boy. Because there is nothing I can come up with that costs more than my son. Because that's how much you are worth to God. The life of his very son. And when Jesus died, the de- his death signaled an end of an era. And you remember how the curtain in the temple tore in two. What is that a symbol of? Well, you had to stay on one side of the curtain, especially if you weren't one of the holiest of holies, the priests, the guys, the ironic priesthood. You had to stay outside. But when the temple started to change and Jesus died and it signified an end of an era, that curtain was torn in two, so now we can go directly to God. That's what Jesus' death means. And it says, I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. Jesus is the reason for how you can look at your body and celebrate and not despair. You still got to take care of it and be aware of all the crazy that the world is trying to convince you of. Let's pray right now and remember when Jesus' body was broken for ours. Our God in heaven, we're so grateful that you thought we were worthy enough to send your son to die for us. God, we can't repay you. All we can do is say that we'll give you our lives in return. Our time, our treasure, our talent, our heart. God, I know that um, we put out a lot of things today and your word has spoken to us in many ways. And what I want to ask, Father, is that it moves in us in a specific way, in a way that will help us to see the way you see us and not what we see in the mirror and not what we see in the magazines. God, help us to glorify you with our bodies, to honor you with what we do. And God, thank you that you sent your son to give up his body. He made the ultimate sacrifice. He triumphed over the temptation of quitting and persevered all the way to the cross. God, we ask that you bless this time of us remembering that, that death and that resurrection as we take the communion. We love you and we thank you for something new. In Jesus' name, amen.